Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Good morning, everybody. Or just about. Um, it's great to be sharing with you all this morning from the comfort of my seat. I was, uh, seats, yeah, seats. <laughs> I was considering getting a high seat, but it just would have been too uncomfortable. So anyway, um, for those of you that don't know, I ruptured my Achilles um, just after Christmas. And uh, that's when you're meant to go, aww. Um, Playing football, but probably more unfortunate than that is that my wife is in her third trimester of pregnancy. And she's getting to experience what it's like to look after a kid a little early. Um, Maybe over-exaggerating that a little. Uh, (laughs) Please do pray for her. (laughs) So that's the wee season that we find ourselves in. Um, Apologies, I forgot to introduce myself. My my name's James, and I'm one of the pastors here at the Vineyard. And um, as I said, I'm married to Hannah, and she's going to be sharing in a few weeks, so you will get to hear the real story then. But um, we live in Lisburn, and not only do we live in Lisburn, we love Lisburn. In particular, we love this community. And uh, we're so proud to say that we're part of a community here that is creating a space for people to find friendship and family in and through things such as tribes. We're so proud to be part of a community here that is hosting meals for people that have had to flee their country due to dangerous circumstances and come here and be able to experience family and home and a meal. I'm so proud to be part of a community here that is sharing the gospel in classrooms all across the city every week and seeing people come to faith. I'm so proud to be part of a community here that opens up their homes to children that haven't anywhere safe to live and not only that, make them a part of their family. I'm so proud to be part of a community here that understands the authority of scripture and is figuring out creative ways in which we can apply that to our daily lives. And the list could go on and on and on, but Hannah and I are just both feel like it's such an honor to be part of a community in these days and watch what God is doing. But I want to help us see something and help us connect the dots because you see, but before all the kind of activity and movement of God that we're seeing, there's something that precedes that, and that is prayer, or some of you would say prayer. And uh, as Emma said earlier, wells really are such a good space for us to practice this. There are spaces where we get to worship, but not only that, we get to pray, and we get to contend for God doing something amazing in these days, that we would see him move in greater measure than we've ever done before. You know, in the Bible, we're reminded multiple times of this kingdom principle that we don't have because we have not asked. And we know there's tension in that, but we do want to intentionally create space for you next Sunday night to gather with us as we cry out to God and ask him to move in our day. Hopefully by now, you'll have gathered this. I am harping on about it every time I'm talking about wells, but every move of God is always preceded by a moment of prayer. Every move of God is always preceded by a moment of prayer. I could go on and on about wells, but I'll leave it there because it'll leak too much into our time today. But I do want to encourage you, please do join us next Sunday. And as Emma said, you don't have to sign up, just show up 
and whatever one is maybe closest to you locationally or whatever one's closest to your heart, we would love to have you with us. So this morning we are continuing on in our new series, exploring the book of Ruth. And Dana kicked us off last week looking at chapter one. And I'm not gonna go into everything she did because I just simply wouldn't do it justice. And you can catch up on the live stream. But what I do wanna do is recap the story and because um, I think it'd be helpful, helpful for us as we jump into chapter two. So let's go back to chapter one, scene one. We are introduced to a family that live in Bethlehem. And this family was made up of Elimelech, Naomi, and their two sons. And they've been forced to leave their homeland due to the fact that famine has hit the land. So they flee the country and go to Moab. And when they eventually arrive there, sadly, Elimelech dies. And the two sons then go on to marry Moabite women. And then before they could have children, the two sons also die, leaving Naomi and her two Moabite daughter-in-laws. But the next thing we hear in the story is this, is that Naomi's homeland has been blessed, that there's crops back in the land, that there's, been, there's food again available. So Naomi sets off to go back home. And in the midst of saying goodbye to her two daughter-in-laws, one of them says, no, 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 no. I can't let you go without going with you. In fact, the scriptures say that she clung to her. And we know that this daughter-in-law, of course, is Ruth. So this, the two of them set off, and the last thing we hear in the opening scene is that they have arrived in Bethlehem just as the barley harvest was beginning. So today we're going to pick up the story, like I said, chapter two, and um, like last week, I'm going to read through the whole chapter. So if you want to get your Bibles out, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one on the seat near to you. And welcome team, if you're able, um, would you just pass out some pens? And as we read through the chapter, what I want you to do today is I want you to underline anything that stands out to you. I think Dana said this last week, but I want to remind you again that this isn't a dead book that we're reading, just words on a page. This is a living book. This is both word and spirit. So I want us to uh, raise our expectation this morning that th these words wouldn't just inform us, but they would quite literally transform us more into the likeness of Jesus. I should have said as well, if you don't have a Bible, you do now, whatever one you have in your hand, please do take that home with you. That is our gift to you this morning. Okay, so let me read from Ruth chapter two. If you're in the Black Bibles and you're still looking for that, that's page 180. And just before we do that, let me fight, invite the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us this morning. Holy Spirit, come and speak to us, we pray. Ruth chapter two. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I can find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. 
As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of the harvests, what does that, or who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, well, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. And she came into the field and was, has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in any other field. And don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and drink from the water jars the men have filled. Verse 10. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground and she asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You've put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have standing the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain and she ate all she wanted and had some left over. And as she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to the men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her um, from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. Don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until the evening. Then she threshed all the barley she had gathered and it mounted to about an epah. She carried it back to the town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over from what she had already eaten. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth said to her mother-in-law about the one whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked for today is Boaz. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not... He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finished harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord, amen. 
I wonder if I was to ask you this morning, who comes to mind when you think about partnership? Like who are some of the famous partnerships in the world that come to mind when you think of the word partnership? I did this in the first service and some of the examples I was given, I didn't know who they were. It was like Laurel and Hardy. Like who knows who Laurel and Hardy are? Um, I know that's terrible, but they were like, my point is they were really old, you know? So um, anyway, actually, do you know what? I'm just gonna share some of the partnerships that I came up with. Um, Here's a couple of the ones that I found on Google. Does anybody know who Ben Cohen and Jerry Greenfield are? Maybe this will help you. Ben and Jerry's. We're all thankful for that partnership, right? Um, does anybody know who Wilbur and Orville Wright are? Who are they? The Wright brothers, who created the first successful powered airplane in 1903. Um, We've got to talk about Batman and Robin, of course, one of the famous partnerships of our day. Um, what about famous sporting partnerships? Um, Dwight York and Andy Cole, Jack Walsh, one of the best striking partnerships to ever grace the Premier League. Or maybe some of you think this partnership was slightly better. I don't know. I'll let you decide. Um, we have famous music partnerships. We have John Lennon and Paul McCartney from the Beatles. We have our very own Dana Masters and Van the Man. And we also have some famous celebrity relationship partnerships where we have David and Victoria Beckham. And it can't go without saying Harry and Meghan. Also, a national love story followed and told all around the planet. And today as we look at our next scene, I want you to hold that idea of partnership in your head as we look at the beginning of this love story that unfolds in the next scene. So in this second scene, as we've read, um, we're introduced to a new character in the plot, and that's Boaz. And right from the very beginning, in chapter two, verse one, we learn a few things about this guy, Boaz. As a reader, we learn that he's a relative of Naomi's husband and that he's a man of standing. Now, in the King James Version, this unpacks um, even more. I know some, what some of you are thinking. Finally, they're reading from the real Bible. But here's what the King James says. Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, and he was a mighty man of strength and wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So here we learn that he's not just any kind of relative, that he's a kinsman. And we'll come back to that term a wee bit later on today. But we also learn that he's a mighty man of strength and of wealth. And strength and wealth are the two very things that Ruth and Naomi were looking for, weren't they? It would be his wealth uh, that was related to agricultural wealth, which meant that there would have been a provision of food. And uh, his strength would have provided the protection that they needed. And so right at the very beginning of this scene, the author, like any good author does, puts us on the edge of our seat, hoping that these two people will find each other, Ruth and Boaz. Dun, dun, dun. It's not like we haven't read the story already. We know what happens, right? But let me skim over some of it, some of the story again, before we unpack it. In verse two, we see Ruth setting off to go and find Naomi and herself some food in the nearby fields. In verse three, we begin to see Ruth. Plan, Ruth's plan is 
coming together as she's found a field where she can glean behind the harvesters. Now, this initially sounds a little bit random, but God had written this into his law in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. For those who were harvesting in Israel, God had given a commandment that they weren't to take in everything from the field, but that they were to leave a percentage for the poor. And I'll I'll read out one of these versions in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 19. Um, God said this, that when you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a shreif, do not go back to get it, leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow so that the Lord your God may bless you in all your work in your hands. Verse 20, when you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave the remains for the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow. And the example goes on and on. And basically what God's saying, like don't be greedy, leave um, a percentage for the poor. And here we see Ruth benefiting from this law. And out of every field she possibly could have chosen, of course, whose field did she end up in? Boaz's. And in verse four, we see Boaz just happens to show up out of the blue when Ruth was there. He greets his men and straight away, he turns to his chief harvester and asks, who does that one belong to? Now, when I read this, I was... uh, reminded of the Jim Owen skit about eyebrows. Have you ever seen that before? No? Um, So he talks about it's like really, really important to pay attention to where your eyebrows are on your forehead when you're asking certain questions. Okay, so if I was to ask, where's the toilet? Is is the toilet over there? I'm not going to ask, where's the toilet? Is the toilet over there? You know, you got to, and now you're going to be looking at my eyebrows the whole time. (laughs) Class, didn't think about that. Um, But I can imagine in this situation, Boaz's eyebrows were very much elevated. Who's that woman over there? I don't think he was cross about this situation at all. I think he was very interested in her. The fact that his first question to the chief harvester was nothing to do with how the crops were getting on tells us enough that he was a little distracted by this lady Ruth. Anyway, Boaz eventually plucks up the courage and and speaks to Ruth himself and they have a sneaky wee date over some bread and wine. How romantic. And it's here he offers her a continual provision of food and of protection by staying close to the women of the field. So Ruth heads home with this substantial amount of food and Naomi was a little sus about this and questioned her, Where on earth did this all come from? To which Ruth informed her, it was Boaz. And it's here in verse 20 that Naomi drops the bombshell to Ruth that she actually knows who Boaz is. Verse 20, Naomi says, The Lord bless him. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. And she added, That man is our close relative and he is one of our guardian redeemers. This is the moment that Ruth discovers that Boaz is actually a close relative to Naomi. And even more than that, he is their guardian. And here's this phrase again that, we, we, uh, that I mentioned earlier. You'll see guardian in your NIV Bibles, but in some older translations, we'll see kinsman. So what is a guardian redeemer? What is a kinsman redeemer? Well, 
In the Old Testament, there was no such thing as social safety net. So the way that God provided for his people was that in every family, there would be someone who took on the role of kinsman redeemer. But what was that person? Well, if a family member fell into poverty, it was the role of the kinsman redeemer to come and help them and give them provision of food. If if a family member fell into slavery, they had to sell themselves into slavery in order to survive. Well, it was the role of the kinsman redeemer to go and buy them out of slavery. Um, If there was a family member that sold their land, it was the kinsman redeemer to come back and buy the land back. The family member had been attacked. It was the role of the kinsman redeemer to make sure justice was served. The kinsman redeemer was kind of like an ideal big brother who had your back on everything. He was the family protector and provider. And I'm sure we would all like someone like, someone like that in our family, right? That any time we would happen to fall into trouble or get ourselves into a difficult circumstance, that we could have someone to go to. Maybe you're there this morning, like Ruth, you find yourself in a difficult situation. Maybe that's a financial situation that's difficult. Maybe it's a relational situation that's difficult. Maybe it's just a circumstance where you just need someone to help you. This is something, though, that we see time and time again throughout the narrative of Scripture, where people find themselves in one of these hard, difficult circumstances that we can all relate to. And instead of God opening the heavens and sending an angel to fix the problem, which I'm sure we would all love, he chooses to partner with someone instead, and um, instead of acting himself sovereignly. And there's a fancy theological term to articulate this that I'm going to teach you this morning. And it's this, that God is a deanthropic God. That should appear on the screens. God is a deanthropic God. Why don't you turn to the person beside you and say, God is a deanthropic God. I can hear some of you are struggling there. I always want to say it like with a Scottish accent, thropic. Well, this fancy term um, basically is saying that God works his purposes out through his people. I love how N.T. Wright explains it. He says that God is the working through humans, God. God is the working through humans, God. And this is exactly what God is doing through Boaz towards Ruth. God chose to bless Ruth with provision and protection through partnering with the family kinsman, Boaz. This is God's primary way of working in and through the world. It's his people working out his purposes. And this has always been the case in the biblical story, but God probably indicated this most clearly back when he called and commissioned Abraham, Genesis chapter 12. And this is what God said to Abraham. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And this is the point I wanna make. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Interesting, right? 
Notice God says, everyone on earth will be blessed through you, not me. And this has been God's plan all along. Of course, God could act on his own behalf. We, we read stories in the scriptures like in Exodus when God opens the heavens and rains down manna and creates provision for his people. But his preference and his primary way of working in the world is through people, both you and me. I don't know how that makes you feel this morning. Maybe that um, seems like a privilege. Or maybe for some of you, the responsibility of that just feels completely overwhelming. It's probably healthy to feel a bit of both. I heard a story this week of somebody in our community um, who is really living this out. They understand that their, their role in life is to partner with God and bringing about his purposes and plans. And uh, many years ago, we ran a, a course called Compass. We do have Compass now, but it took on a different form um, five or six years ago. And basically what Compass was is that we gathered a few weekends across the year and we studied through three kind of areas, identity, inheritance, and investment, okay? And as a part of the year, what we wanted people to do was we wanted them to write down an impossibility goal. And the kind of idea behind this was that they would reach for something that they couldn't do on their own, but that they needed to partner with God in. And uh, just last week, we heard of someone uh, coming to us and telling us six years later that they're only seeing their impossibility goal come into fruition. And this person's impossibility goal was that they would put a smile on people's faces who had their smile robbed from them through domestic violence. And this person has orchestrated and designed their business now in such a way that they're able to offer free dental cosmetic care to people who have had their smiles robbed to them. And they're able to put smiles back on their face again. Isn't that incredible? Someone who understands their identity and understands the purpose of them being here to partner with God and bringing out the restoration and the renewal of all things. Now, there's many different things in this story that we could talk about identity, stewardship, and the kingdom, but I want to ask you this this morning, and this is the first of two questions I want to ask you. Where is God asking you to partner with him? Where is God asking you to partner with him in being a blessing right now? Is that something that you are already doing, and maybe you just need to figure out how to better partner with God in it? Maybe it's in your parenting, or your friendships, or with your neighbors, or it's in your work or your business. Or maybe God's inviting you to partner with him in something new. Maybe you even already know what that something new is, but there's something getting in the way. And that's what I want us to look at now. Because you see, once we have an idea of what God is asking us to do, what he's wanting to partner with us in, the most common thing that gets in the way is that four-letter word that we all love, and it's fear. I wonder if I was to ask you this afternoon, what are you most scared of, or what is your biggest fear in life? How would you answer that question? Well, you see, there's two different types of fear, right? 
There's rational fear and then there's irrational fear. Rational fears are the things that keep us alive, such as being afraid of bears and lions and scorpions. And we don't have those to be afraid of here, but you know what I mean. But we also have irrational fears, right? And I don't know what your biggest fear is, but mine, I'm going to be vulnerable, is roller coasters. Which is quite ironic because Tom is sitting in the front row and that's his biggest passion in life. <laughs> this guy has traveled all around the world to go on all these sorts. Of, he could tell you every detail about roller coasters that you need to know. Just made yourself open and available to that, Tom. Anyway, like I said, my biggest fear is roller coasters. And uh, like, I can't actually put in the words how scared I am. Like, if a roller coaster experience comes on the TV, I just start making my way to the toilet because I know I'm going to be sick. Like, it's genuinely, it's that bad. And the worst experience I ever had was when I was around 16 or 17, and my friend Niall and I, we had friends over from America, and we were doing the whole North Coast thing, Dunleys Castle, Giants Causeway, and then we ended up in the iconic Barry's. And I was trying to keep these guys inside for as long as I could, but we eventually ended up outside, and to where the roller coaster and all those kind of big scary rides are. I'll never forget, <laughs> I feel like you're all judging me right now, guys. <laughs> being honest, right? <laughs> um, I'll never forget, this is going to be a terrible, I can't do American accents, but the, one of the Americans uh, turned around to me and said, is this all the kindergarten rides? And I was like, yeah, like, totally, like, why would we waste our money on going on these? These are just children's rides. Let's just leave it. We can go home. Anyway, my friend and I was convinced we had to go on one of them, and uh, I seen kind of past the roller coaster, there was this one ride that looked like it was just kind of spinning around. I thought it was the waltzer. We all know the waltzer, right? Um, so we queue up, we get on it, and it starts spinning around. I'm like, I can do this. Like, I can totally do this. And, but eventually, it doesn't just spin around. It kind of starts swaying from side to side of it. I'm like, okay, I can do this. The momentum builds and builds and builds. And eventually, before I knew it, I was upside down, spinning around and around. You know the ride I'm talking about? Now, here's the thing. I'd never been on one of these rides before. So do you know the experience that you get where, like, when you're coming down at that certain point and, you, like, you can't breathe? I thought I was the only one experiencing that. So I literally thought I was dying. So I was, like, any point I could, I was, like, screaming to my friend, Al, get me off! Oh, triggered. <laughs> anyway, after that, the, the guys went on to the the big scary roller coaster, and I went to the toilet to be sick anyway. Um, I'm a wee bit embarrassed about telling you about that, but anyway. Um, for Ruth, um, she had to push past many different fears, right? And uh, it wouldn't have been a roller coaster for her, obviously, but traveling from Moab to Israel literally would have felt like a roller coaster. You see, the Moabites and the Israelites had a really complicated past. And we read of this in a conversation between Moses and God in Deuteronomy chapter 23. And this is what God says to Moses. No Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the 10th generation. And this is why. For they did not come to meet you with bread when you were coming out of Egypt. 
So here we read of a moment in the past where it's a role reversal. It's Israel looking to Moab for food. And what did they do? They, they turned their back on them. They, they didn't offer any help. So knowing that for Ruth, Ruth the Moabite, remember, she's coming onto Israel's soil and she must have had a fear of rejection knowing how her ancestors had treated the Israelites in the past. But not only does Ruth have to push past the fear of being rejected, she also has to push past the fear of being ridiculed and the fear of failure and the fear of being attacked. We read in the story earlier, remember, Boaz had to make it very clear to his men, do not touch Ruth, don't lay a hand on her. And then later on in the story, we read of Naomi saying to Ruth that at the end of the chapter that she just got lucky with the field she picked. If she had picked any other field, she would have been harmed. But here's the point I want to make. That if Ruth hadn't pushed past all these different fears, they wouldn't have got the protection and the provision they needed. We don't read of Boaz, do we? Going out, knight in shining armor, and finding Ruth where she was. No, it was Ruth's choice that put herself in the field that created the circumstance then for Boaz to help. Phyllis Tribble, a biblical scholar that Hannah introduced me to this week, has a beautiful insight on this. And maybe as I read this, um, Tim, maybe you could join me up here. Phyllis Tribble says this, that if the repeated deference of Ruth results from her own decisions, then the actions of Boaz on her behalf mean that it's a reaction, not initiative. The first meeting of these two happens because of a choice and a chance, neither of which Boaz directs. He has authority within the story, but he does not have control over it. And she goes on to say then how Boaz is actually subordinate to, to Ruth and that Ruth is the actual heroine of the story. Anyway, what Phyllis is trying to say here is that the only reason the circumstance comes about for Boaz to bless Ruth was because she had the courage to push past her fear and position herself for what God wanted to do. Maybe that's true for some of us this morning, that we need to find courage to push past whatever fear is in the way of us right now in order to see the full extent of what God has for us. And knowing that, isn't it? But this was no different for Jesus. In the garden of Gethsemane, he faced his greatest fear, the cross. Pushed to the point of sweating blood, he was terrified. Yet in this moment of his greatest fear, he shows his greatest courage. Tim Keller notes that Christianity is the only religion that even claims our God has the attribute of courage. And folks, this should be good news for us today. Jesus knows what it's like to face fear like us. But not only that, he is the one that can give us the faith 
and the courage we need to overcome our fear that's getting in the way of us stepping into partnering with what God is calling us into. So really simply, my response is this this morning. Where is God asking you to partner with him? Where? Where is he asking you to partner with him? Remember what we shared earlier on, that God's primary way of working in and through the world is through you and me. So where is he looking to partner with you? And the second part of that is, well, what's getting in the way? What fear is presenting itself that's stopping you from getting there? Maybe it's the fear of failure. Maybe it's the fear of letting people down. Or maybe even it's the fear of not having what it takes. But you know, the good news this morning, not only can Jesus identify himself with your fear, but Jesus has overcome every fear, both past, present, and future. And he wants to do business with us this morning. And believe this morning that he wants to release fresh faith and courage in order for us to step out and step in to what he has for us. So to respond this morning, why don't you close your eyes and we're just going to take a moment to wait. Lord, as we create a moment for you to come and speak to us in our hurried lives and our busy schedules. Holy Spirit, we give you permission to come and reveal to us the invitation of where you are looking us to partner with you. Come and speak. Come and speak, Holy Spirit. Come and show us where you want us to step in and partner with you in bringing about your plan and purpose. Maybe you want to just throw your hands out in front of you just to change your posture as a way of receiving what that is. second thing is what's getting in the way what's stopping you from moving towards that where is fear showing up and getting in the way of you partnering with God and if you need fresh faith and courage to move past that this morning just where you're where you're sitting just place your hand on your heart I want to release faith and courage to you today Jesus, we thank you that we thank you, but we're also humbled 
at the fact that you choose to partner with us in our brokenness, in our fragility, in, the, in our, our lack of saying yes to you, Lord. You still choose to partner with us. So firstly, Lord, we say yes to whatever you're calling us into. But right now, Lord, where we've identified fear getting in the way, we thank you in your word that it says that it's your perfect love that casts out every fear. Lord, would you remind us of your love today? And right now, Lord, I release faith in the room. I release courage in the room today. May we take hold of that today. We say yes to receiving courage today, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you have overcome every fear that we are facing and that we will ever face, that you can identify with what that feels like. Lord, I pray that you would embed that truth in our hearts today and as we go about the rest of our week, that we would know that you are both with us and that you are for us. Jesus, we simply say that we love you and that we want to worship you with our whole life. So Lord, would you continue to release that in these days, that we would be known, Lagan Valley Vineyard, as a community that is marked by faith and courage. We pray this in your precious and your mighty name.